that the world outside the church gets this wrong doesn't surprise me. But that we in the church get this wrong breaks my heart. The world outside the church thinks we get together every week and say, aren't we just wonderful and aren't we better than everybody else? Sometimes people in the church come together and we act like everything is all perfect in our lives. But when the church is at its best, what we really understand is we come here with the reality of our lives, with our brokenness, with our hurts, with our questions, and this is the place where we encounter the living Christ. We don't say we're better than everybody else. What we say is because of Jesus Christ, he is the one who puts us and our lives back together again. We come here not as people who are unbroken, but people who are broken and need God's grace to put us back together again. So I want you to know at the end of our service today, when I finish preaching and Justin the band comes back, I'm going to invite you to make a response to Jesus. There, anytime we get a group this big together, there's a lot of hurt and brokenness here. Uh, we've got some altars, places you can kneel there and over in the corner, and you can turn the front pews into an altar if you need to. But I will give an invitation for you to respond to Jesus, telling you, brothers and sisters, what we need today is God's unmatched grace. What we need is the hope and the life that Jesus brings. The brokenness in our lives comes from a lot of different places. Uh, some of us have never encountered Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen to Today, we've got an incredible movie, an incredible story that points us directly toward Jesus. But some of, somebody here may just say, I don't know Jesus. I'm you know, here all the time, but I don't, I've never made a commitment. I'm, I'm telling you, if you've never made that commitment... You can do that today, and your life can be changed. It ought to be the testimony of all of us that because Christ has come into our lives, we are transformed, and being transformed. I mean, we've got it all together, but we can tell that God is at work in our lives. There may be some whose marriages are broken, some whose hearts are broken over their children, or children whose hearts are broken over their parents. It may be that there are incredible needs that are represented here. I'm here to tell you Christ is sufficient for all things. Now, I don't know if you have people who recommend books to you or go to the movies, you know, and they, they'll give you about this much information. So when somebody recommended that I read the book Unbroken, this is what they told me. You ready for this? It's about this guy named Louis Zamperini, and he survived the longest of anybody ever uh, in a life raft on the ocean. Right? That's all I knew. Uh, the the uh, author, Laura Hillenbrand, had won a Pulitzer Prize, a great writer. But that's all I knew about the book. And uh, I love to run, so I was listening to the book while I was running. And I, I listened to the book rather than, than read it. Uh, and I discovered some fascinating stuff Watch the movie later. The movie was really good, uh, but it left something out. So if you've not seen the movie, I uh, would commend it to you. Uh, if you have time to read the book, I commend that. 
But let me just, for those of you, I know a lot of us haven't seen that, so let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. Louis Zamperini, as a young boy, was sort of growing up in the midst of some bad influences. To abbreviate the story, somebody discovered he could run and encouraged him, and he began to really uh, demonstrate a capacity not just to run well, but to run with great speed. And uh, take a look at what happens here in this first clip as, uh, where he comes out as a runner. And he was on his way to the Olympics. Uh, just an incredible scene. Uh, I run, and I run like chariots of fire, you know. <laughs> anyway, this guy just flying. And he ends up going to the Olympics. He's still uh, just out of high school. He doesn't really have a chance to win, and he knows that. But he's just, uh, he, he does a great job and acquits himself well. So that's the, the first part of the story. And then World War II breaks out. Well, he had a dream of running in the next Olympics, but that Olympics was canceled because of World War II. Instead of running in the Olympics, he's out uh, fighting in the war, and he's out in the Japanese theater. That's when we pick up the next major part of the story, and he's on his way flying, and here's how he winds up in the life raft.
you can breathe again. <laughs> Every time I'm holding my breath the whole way till he gets up. But he and the, the two other guys wind up in a life raft. One of the other guys dies, but he and a friend of his who was a pilot survive uh, in for, I can't remember, it was like 27 uh, days. Uh, a, a part of the thing was sharks circling all the time, just in this life raft, just barely big enough to hold them. And one of the times he drags a shark in and kills it so that they can have something to eat. An incredible story. But finally, uh, they're, they're drifting and they're approaching land. And I realize I'm only halfway through the book. And I mean, this is all they told me about the book as the guy survived. Well, guess where he floats up? Japan. Things are going from bad to worse. He's out of the frying pan into the fire. He goes to a prisoner of war camp, and there is a commandant there that they nicknamed the bird. And this guy, just for some reason, takes a special hatred towards Louis Zamperini and uh, just persecutes him, uh, beats him. And now here's just, it got so difficult, I almost had to stop. And the movie is not quite as bad, but it's, it's awful. Take a look at, this is just one scene of what happens uh, when the bird comes and tells him to do something and listen for the last line. He tells him to pick up this, uh, this beam. Lift it! An incredible scene, incredible things happen there. To abbreviate, the war ends and he survives. Uh, when he comes back, there's a whole other part of the story. In the movie, it just cuts from the conclusion of the war to a few still pictures where it shows uh, some writing up there, and the heart of it is that Zamperini forgave all of these people who had been so uh, terrible to him, and in a matter of fact, went back to Japan and tried to find as many of his captors as he could to tell them that he forgave them. And the bird uh, was the only one who refused to meet with him. And then he had this dream to run in the Olympics. And it shows a clip from back in 1980-something uh, where he had, he had this dream to run the Olympics one more time, and he did. He was carrying the torch. Guess where the Olympics was held that year? 
in Japan. Just, I mean, you know, you see this stuff and it just tears your heart out. But it leaves this big question. What happened? So the book tells it, and if you're going to read the book, I'm going to just ruin it for you. But it's worth reading the book anyway. Here's what happened. Uh, there, there's Louis, who just died last year. Um, when he came back from the war, you would think from the movie, it's unbroken, it's like, yeah, see, nobody could break me. But I need to tell you, that man was absolutely shattered. The war had devastated him, not just physically, but I mean spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He was just collapsing. He went home, and initially he was just this big war hero, went back. Of course, he was glad to be back. Everyone was glad to see him, marry his high school sweetheart. Uh, you know, the government used him to promote, you know, rebuilding America and so forth. But the guy was dying inside. He was shattered within. And he looked at the only place he knew where to find any relief from the misery. He grabbed a bottle. Zamperini became a drooling alcoholic. Now here's where the story becomes so powerful. As he's destroying his own life, he's destroying his marriage. His wife says to him one day, I just can't take it anymore. I'm leaving you. Well, she's already made up her mind to leave him. She has a neighbor, a friend of hers, who says, you know, there's some preacher who's got a tent set up, and how about go with me to listen to him? Well, this was, uh, somebody you may have heard of, his name was Billy Graham, and this was the famous crusade that, you know, kind of launched his uh, career and his um, his knowledge all across America. Well, she went there with this friend. She was, and listen to me, she was thoroughly converted. I don't care what terms you use, converted. She was saved. She met Jesus. She was born again. She was made brand new. Whatever you want to call it, I'm telling you, when she encountered Jesus, she was changed forever. Well, she went back to her home, back to her drunk husband, still a drunk, and she said, I'm not leaving you. I met Jesus, and he's changed my life, and he wants me to stay here with you. Well, this guy, Zamperini, says, great, it wasn't bad enough with her before. Now she's got religion. So she begs him. She says, will you go with me to hear this preacher? She wears him down. He goes one time. And he says, ah, fooey to him. Then she asks him, will you go one more time? Well, she finally wears him down. And here's what he says. If you've ever seen a Billy Graham crusade on TV, or if you've ever been to one of the crusades, uh, you know at the end of every one, he always gives an invitation. And I'm going to give an invitation. This movie and the word of God is calling for an invitation. So he, uh, he gives this invitation, and the guy says, all right, I'll go with you on this one condition. When he gets to that invitation at the end of his sermon, I am getting up and walking out of there. And she says, all right. So they go to the thing. God is speaking to his heart. 
But sure enough, when the invitation is given, he gets up and starts walking out of the meeting. And as he is starting out, here's what Billy Graham says. Speaking to the whole group, he didn't know Zamperini was there, but here's what Billy Graham says. Some of you out here, you are like someone in a lifeboat adrift on the ocean, and you're out of hope. He stopped in the middle of the aisle like he'd been turned to stone. Billy Graham may have been speaking to the whole crowd, but God was speaking to Louis Zamperini. If anyone knew what it was like to be in a lifeboat, if anybody knew what it was like to be out there with despair, he understood that. And he understood, too, what it was like to be a broken man. And he turned around and went back forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Friends, that is why he forgave his captors. It's because Jesus had forgiven him. That's why he was able to be somebody put back together. Because God took the broken pieces and made him whole again. And that's what Jesus can do for you and me. We do not come here today saying, oh yeah, I'm just so great and I'm unbroken and I'm following God. No, we come here today and say, I brought God just the broken pieces of my life and God put it back together again. Brothers and sisters, this is the message of hope for us. This is the life that Jesus can bring to us. If we think that we come to church every day and say, okay, everybody, go out this week and just try and be a little nicer. We have not heard the gospel. The gospel message, the good news, is that we've tried and we can't do it on our own, but the great news is Jesus comes and gives us help when we are without hope. And today, wherever that broken place is in your life, Jesus is here to bring you hope and help and a brand new life. And Jesus is here to do that for me too. In the Bible, there's this incredible story about one of Jesus' disciples whose name is Simon Peter. You know, Peter's one of these guys who is the, the main guy in the disciples. He's the one who says, Jesus, you can count on me. And matter of fact, you remember there was a time just before Jesus went to the cross, he said, all of you are going to run away. And what does Peter say? This is unbroken, Peter. This is, you can count on me, Jesus. This is, the other disciples may be a bunch of bums, but I'm the man, Jesus. That Peter stands up and says, all the others may desert you, but you can count on me. And he is the one who three times denies he even knows Jesus. The unbroken Peter is of no use for the kingdom of God. But that night, after, you remember this little detail from the, from the Gospel of John, when Peter has denied Jesus three times, denied even knowing him, it says that Jesus looked out across the courtyard and his eyes locked with Peter's and said, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Simon Peter that night was a man whose life was absolutely shattered. He was a man totally broken. 
He was a man who had no hope left. But I want to take you to a scripture passage. That's not the end of the story. In chapter 21 of John, Jesus encounters Peter. They've been out fishing, and Jesus says, uh, throw your net on the other side. They catch a big batch of fish. Peter remembers, holy smokes, this has happened before, and he recognizes it was Jesus. Doesn't even wait for the other guys, jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore, and comes to Jesus. Jesus feeds him breakfast, and here we have this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, are you going to be unbroken? Are you going to be the man? Are you going to be that guy who says, I can do it? Are you going to be the guy who says, I can count on you? No, he doesn't ask any of those questions. Now he's asking this broken Simon Peter. He says, what? Read the next words with me. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him. How many times did he deny him? How many times did Jesus give him the opportunity to reaffirm his love? Three, isn't that just the sweetness of Jesus? A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Our Savior was able to take this man absolutely broken and shattered. And God was able to use him in a way he never could before. I want you to hear this. There are some people who say, oh, I'm just too bad to come back to Jesus. I've done too many things. He'll never understand. He'll never forgive. I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel is we never go so far from the cross that we can't find our way back because Jesus constantly seeks us. Why this brokenness? It is because Jesus became broken for us. That's the message of the cross. Do we understand that? Isaiah says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And because of our sins, he was broken. Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. And today, Jesus wants to do that for us. It's what Jesus has done, and now he invites you to make a response. Would you pray with me? Father, if there's one place where we ought to be totally able to be totally honest and say, I'm a person in so much need and I need God's grace, the church ought to be that place. This ought to be the place where we can bring all the broken pieces of our lives and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. And the church is that place. This is that place. This is a place where we can have hope and new life. So, Lord Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit right now among us? 
I know that during this time you've been speaking to a lot of a lot of us. And there are some folks here who have really heard your stirring and they know that they've been trying to live life on their own. They thought, well, it's just about what I do and I just try harder. This is not about trying harder. This is about trusting. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak into our hearts, hope and life right now? And would you take all the broken pieces and make them whole again in Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, would you stand with me? We're going to sing and the altars are open. Don't miss this opportunity to come and kneel before Jesus. Come, it's God's invitation. Let's meet him right now.